So doing a full industry analysis, if you're interested in a specific niche, just get a big landscape. You have somebody on Fiverr do a full like industry landscape research project for you, and you'll learn so much about your competitors and all that. We are Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. For show notes with links and resources mentioned today and for other GC resources like downloads, just visit our blog, theecommerceleader.com. Today's sponsor is Eva, the most intelligent Amazon scaling toolkit online. Amazon sellers need exact, quick-to-read profit reports. Many sellers already pay a lot of money for these. Eva has world-class finance analytics with crystal-clear graphs included at no extra cost. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers, averaging a 51% increase in profits. To get a 15-day free trial, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. You end up becoming a portfolio manager of products. And if you have a portfolio of products and you launch a second brand or buy a different company or whatever, then you end up becoming a portfolio uh, manager of brands that have products. And, and there will be these outcomes. Every, every one of these outcomes will be occurring inside your business if you have enough. And that's just the reality of it. And we work with people, and I found myself in this situation as well, where you have a star product and you're like, oh my goodness, this is like the thing. But the first thing that comes in your mind is, how do I defend myself against this not being the thing? You know, <laughs> I need a second product. I need to, I need to, to like become defense, defensible a bit. And so the second product that you bolt on may or may not be a star. Maybe you have a star and then your second product is a dog. And, but then you're like, oh, bummer kill that one. Or maybe your second product is a dog, but you say, you know what? I'm still making some money. It still adds up to help my profit and loss statement. And it maybe helps me have a bigger team or whatever. Or maybe your second product is a cash cow. And then you've got a star and a cash cow. And you're like, oh my, I've got some real strength now in my business. And so these are the things that you end up doing over time as you get more mature into your products and, and management of brands. Okay. So the top right corner is the one where he really has an interesting uh, challenge for us. And that is you're in a high growth market, but you're the follower. So it's a fast growing market, but you're the follower. This is such an interesting space to be. And his recommendation or advice is obviously try to become the leader. <laughs> He's like, sure. Yes. Try your best to become the leader or sell or he he just has a question mark like it's very hard to know what to do if it's a fast-growing industry and you're the number two in general i think my thesis on this spot would be that you should just optimize for both growth and profitability and not run your business as a in a deficit but if you're number two and it's a high growth industry. You think of many industries are like this. It's just Coke and Pepsi is a classic example. At some point in their prior uh, hundred years, they were it was a fast growing industry. Maybe it still is. I don't know. I don't know the numbers. Pepsi's number two, and Coke's number one. And so the question there for Pepsi is how best do they operate? And it's certainly a wonderful position to be in to be the second brand because what happens in 
fast growing markets is no one knows about the market and then many people become exposed to it. This has happened to me. I've been on the rocket ride a few times in this, for example, in different ways. And here's my random example, just for for an example, expertise in Pinterest marketing or the educational guru space for Pinterest marketing. I started blogging about Pinterest in 2011. I literally got ranked by Google for all the key phrases related to marketing on Pinterest. It just, it, there was no one else there. So in that industry, (laughs) that new industry, I was the market leader and it was a high growth industry. And so I had a rocket ride. I got a book deal within two weeks from McGraw Hill and had a great book. They overpaid us on the advance because they wanted it done quick. And that, but then what happened over from 2011 to today, 11 years later, that industry matured. And my leadership position, as soon as big time people, big stars started talking about Pinterest marketing, I didn't have the leadership position anymore. And then I was second, and then I was third, and then I was fourth. And now if you look at that industry now, there are many growth coaches and programs and resources and books all about how to do marketing on Pinterest. And I'm not even in the conversation. My thing is so old now and my content is so old. I'm not a player in that space. And this is how that, that second or third slot spot works is where you see something happening and you either going to be the leader in that growth industry or not. Now, if I would have protected myself and only ever camped on marketing on Pinterest for the last 11 years, I would be the leader and it would probably not be a high growth industry anymore, but it'd probably be a cap, but I didn't do it. I just let it go because I didn't really want to be the educator. It was just one thing that I wrote a book project to me. So anyway, Michael, what are your thoughts on the top right corner, the the so, high growth market, yeah. but you're not the leader? I first to your story. This is actually one of the last chapters in the book. I think it's called the fading star. So you were that you had star positioning in. So it's a very fast growth market indeed. I'm sure, and and you were definitely the the definitive leader. So for a while that was a star business, and people talk about first mover advantage, and I think it's very interesting to analyze that in the context of your story. I don't think first mover advantage is so much. What we need is star positioning. So in other words, you're in a high growth market and you're the leader. If you move first, that can be one way as you did, maybe some degree of luck in it as well. And some degree, obviously, I'm sure you wrote good stuff as well and you knew what you were talking about. But however you achieve that first move advantage, it's only really meaningful if you maintain it. So we talked earlier about the fact that if you're in a fidget spinner market, you can be the market leader, but if the market blows up or is banned by Germany, et cetera, then it's all over. So that's where the market fails on you. But this is an example of where the the market grew very fast, but the leadership position failed. And either which way means that the value sort of plummets, really, doesn't it? So it's it's an important point to bear in mind. It Um, is an important point. And the other piece of that is that some industries and some product types have a high durability in terms of the first mover advantage and others do not. So, for example, in the book space or educational space, if you can maintain it for the long term and it's a new hot industry, there is a lot of durability. But sometimes in in spaces, you're only as good as the next new successful product. In the movie industry, for example, the Hollywood studios, they, they don't they can't rest on their laurels. It's only about the next new big launch. Now they end up with a beautiful back catalog, but but it's always about the next new thing. Other industries 
you really can get stuck in. And so this is this is an interesting piece. I have a tweak or an adaptation to the star model that I want to broach as a subject with you here. And if we're ready to do that, this is a nice segue, I think, into kind of my thesis that I think is a different approach to what the star model does. You ready to hear my twist? Yeah. Okay. I was listening to this, the book, The Star Principle. And of course, the book is not new. I don't remember when it was published, but it's not new. And the framework itself is old, as you mentioned in the intro from the 60s. But it's so relevant. But there was something that was off to me. And I just kept thinking, I, I love what he's saying, but there's something that doesn't apply to today's e-commerce environment. And I just, I, I couldn't really put my finger on it. And you and I were talking about this a week or two ago, and I was trying to say to you, there's something that's not right about this that, and I just couldn't articulate, but here's my thesis and I sorted it out in my mind. Imagine taking the star framework, which is this four box grid, and then creating a framework that has 10 boxes or 12 boxes. And each one of those little boxes, then you put the star matrix into his framework. So his framework is in 10 boxes. And so it looks like a big, huge Scrabble board, I guess you could say. And what I visually, what I mean to to present here is the internet age has created fractured or segmented markets that are very powerful and very interesting for us to think through. And so take the star model and then just apply it, for example, to uh, Amazon.com, Amazon US market. And you say to yourself, am I on Amazon in a high segment or set of SKUs? On Amazon, am I the market leader? And that might be a true reality. And you are a multimillionaire and your business is a seven or eight figure business because of that reality. But on eBay, you might be a zero. And on Craigslist or Etsy or Walmart.com or Mercado Libre or Amazon.jp, the Japan Amazon market, you might be zeros. And so the sec or fracturing of the uh, the internet space is what's captivating to me because what it means is his model is too simplistic for today's scenario, but it still gives great instruction. So for example, if I'm number one on Amazon and I'll use my own uh, book for an example, if you look at Instagram PowerBook, I think yesterday as I looked at it, it was number 38 or something like that in social media marketing on Amazon uh, bookstore. Okay, so there it is. It's number 38. And for Instagram topic in general and within social media, it's in it's a num- number one or two if you look at, you know, the other books. I'm very familiar with them. So, for Instagram marketing in that uh, niche on Amazon, I know where I fall in the star matrix. But what about barnesnoble.com or the Barnes & Noble bookstores themselves? What about other markets like the German-speaking market in Europe or the in Brazil, the Portuguese market or Farsi in the Middle East? My book's been translated to those. So there you have it that while in I might be thinking through the framework from this one position as a brand owner, as a business owner, I have to think of my, uh, myself in a whole set of positions across a landscape of marketplaces because there is no single market leader anymore in the digital world, in my view, unless you nail Amazon and then you go and nail eBay and then you go and nail walmart.com and then you go and nail direct to consumer on Shopify. And when you mm. nail all of those things, you can say, we are the industry leader for mm. you know our product. And if you don't, then you are highly susceptible to somebody saying, we're the leading shoe cleaner on eBay. 
Number yeah. one, we're the leading kitchen knife on Etsy.com. And yeah. they're right. They're they're yeah. correct. And you're not. And so that to me is this interesting current thinking or current space in which the star principle can live itself out. But it's a very segmented or fractured marketplace online. And I think that just is a world changing difference between 30, 40 years ago when they came up with this framework where there was just one consumer market. Maybe there was even regionalization back then and, and that kind of thing. So... I was going to say, I think, first of all, you make an extremely important point. And I think, I don't think there's necessarily a conflict. The thing is that it doesn't really matter. Whatever helps us is good. So I would say the, the star principle is simple enough to be something you've got to break down for yourself anyway. It's too simplistic to just go out the door and just make a buying decision on a business or a product line, isn't it? it it's a very big picture principle anyway, I would argue. But also the segmentation piece, I think if you stand back and look at it from maybe the 70,000 foot view, the internet is a very different distribution model. The psychology of how people interact with it is different. And the segmentation of markets, say Amazon.com versus eBay versus BarnesandNoble.com, if your products appear in all, that's not a great example, Walmart.com. They're all American consumers nationally. That's one form of segmentation between different internet marketplaces, for example. But then, as you say, especially in America, and you're American, I'm not, I don't know, but America's a very regional country. It's huge. It's a continent size. So I guess that there are regional markets that traditionally existed before the internet. And let's not forget, before Amazon really nailed international distribution in a very quick, amazing time frame, the sheer size of it when you're dealing with e-commerce and physical products as opposed to digital was still a very much a thing. I would say that, the important piece that I take from everything you said and, and the star principle is really simply that it's market specific. So you could be dominant in Amazon Germany or Germany as a whole. Maybe that's more of a pre-internet thinking. Maybe now it's Amazon Germany or Amazon yeah. Japan yeah. and completely not even existing in, in America. And by mm -hmm. the way, to be fair, that's been around for ages. There've been sure. pop stars yeah. that have made millions selling in the UK and Europe that have never been heard in, in uh, America. It's yeah. actually hard to crack. There are products that I've got. This person that I mentioned that's got to about a $30 million revenue has doesn't never sold in America. I'm rather they did try yeah. America. They felt it wasn't for them in the way mm -hmm. they were doing it at that point. And they're selling in UK and Europe only, mm -hmm. quotes and quotes. Yeah. So I think you're right. It's it's about dominating a specific market with a specific in any specific kind of category of product. Mm -hmm. And you're absolutely right about that being the key point. I think it's completely relevant to be everywhere if you can't be the winner everywhere, as you said. Yeah, you know? totally. Right. I, I, as I was thinking about this, I got a few resources just poked around. There's a good book by Porter. I don't know the details, but I'm just looking at an article. And they talk about strategies for operating in a segment or a fractured market. And, uh, and I like this. I'll put it in the show notes. And there's a little like five-step plan. First, conduct a full industry analysis. And that's like logical, but most of us probably don't do that. <laughs> we just look at Keepa or whatever. And uh, we think, oh, okay, this is the scenario on Amazon. But you have no idea what the scenarios are outside of Amazon with that data. So doing a full industry analysis, if you're interested in a specific niche, uh, I think is a great starting point. <laughs> just get a big landscape. You have somebody on Fiverr do a full like industry landscape research project for you. And you'll learn so much about your competitors and all that. So that's one thing. The second step in their model is identify the cause of fragmentation. Now, this is interesting to your point. Could be geographic. It could be marketplace, like to my point earlier. It could, there could be other reasons though. And you want to understand those. The third idea is examine the causes of fragmentation one by one and determine if and how 
they can be overcome. If you can be number one on Amazon, can you also then be number one on walmart.com? And can you overcome the, the the challenges? Fourth thing is, if it can be overcome, is it best defensible or is it defendable once you become the market leader? And then the f- fifth step is, if it can't be overcome, what do you do? What are the best alternatives for behavior? And that's an interesting framework. So I think this is the position we leave ourselves in, which is taking his model and asking ourselves the question, Based on what I'm doing right now with my product, whatever it is, physical, digital, a service, it doesn't matter what it is. And my product exists in a, a lay of the land. And where am I in relation to the competitors and the growth speed and velocity of the market, size of the market? And then how do I behave? And that's why I really love the model. It, it's so practical for each of us, regardless of the size or quality of our business. It just it applies to everybody uh, who's trying to sell online. So Michael, you want to wrap it up for us? Final thoughts? Yeah, I like that. Those is it by Porter, the as in the the forces of strategy guy. Is that right? Those things you just came up with. Yeah. It's a book called Competitive Strategy by I don't yeah. know if it's Michael Porter, but it's uh yeah, nineteen. Yeah, I I really like that. What's interesting is that I think that's just as valid um, as anything that's written in the last more internet era. I think the full industry analysis, to your point, is excellent because most of us don't do that on Amazon. The danger is that if you're really trying to build a brand over the medium term, the fact that you can dominate on Amazon may ignore the fact that you've got some giant competitor breathing down your neck who's beautifully funded an incredibly strong brand who could just easily put products on Amazon. And that's one thing that people need to scan for, I think. Really identifying the cause of fragmentation and so forth that's really fascinating so i like that a lot i think in general i would say how can i put this general principles can be either something you overly fall in love with and i have a tendency to do that if you love strategy thinking or just dismiss is not very practical i think the art is to use them as a lens through which to look at your business as part of a process of making a really thorough assessment of number one as you said where you're at number two and i guess this is like the is it the gold rack questions? Where do you want to get and how are you going to get there? So as part of that kind of process, they can be valuable lesson, uh, lenses to look through, just like the 80-20 analysis. I would never send somebody do an 80-20 analysis and then go and have you know, a cigarette and, and relax while everything takes care of itself. Nor would I say the same about the star principle. But I would say yeah. it can give yeah. amazingly valuable insights, sometimes quite upsetting insights. If you've got 300 mm-hmm. SKUs and most of them are dogs and should be sold, that's mm-hmm. not an easy thing to swallow. That's yeah. a sunk cost fallacy. But I do think the clarity and simplicity of it actually can cut through a lot of noise in your own head and in your own business as well. Yeah, the goal, I can see it in my, right in my video camera behind me, the goal by Eliyahu Goldrate was the book you're referencing. And his three mm-hmm. question prompt is what to change to and how to make the change. And it's so macro, <laughs> it's like relevant to anything <laughs> yeah. in life, uh, but yeah. it's awesome. Yeah, so I think you're right. That totally applies to uh, to this. Okay, great conversation, man. How should we end this? I would just end with a simple call to action. And that is, if you like this show and you happen to listen on Spotify, would you give us some five-star ratings or your highest and best review, whichever number that might be? It is a five-star system. And they newly inserted that into the Spotify tool set, I believe. I didn't see it before and about a month ago. I'd love your highest and best review on Spotify. And that would be really helpful. The show is blowing up. I was just looking at the stats yesterday. We're growing really quickly. And it's just an honor to see everybody jumping in both in the call-in app and also just on Spotify, which is what I generally look at for stats. And it's just an honor to be able to serve a growing community of awesome e-commerce sellers that are changing the world with their products and making a difference and uh, serving customers well. So thank you everybody for letting us uh, serve you with these shows and with the content. 
Michael, as always, it's an honor. Great conversation. Thanks, man. That was the e-commerce leader podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products, and sales channels, just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.